Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey, another episode of Dose of Leadership. Happy you're tuning in as always. Another great show. I love doing this show. I love having these conversations. It gives me, it fills my emotional fuel tank. It helps me become a better leader. It holds me accountable. And I really enjoy this conversation with Meredith Bell, who came on the show. She's an author, speaker, publisher of assessment and development tools. She's a co-founder president of Performance Support Systems, a global software company in which provides assessment and development tools for the workplace. She's an expert in leader and team communications, and we talk about primarily her book that she co-authored with her business partner, Dr. Dennis Coates. The book is called Connect Your Team, Mastering the Ten Communication Skills. I mean, everything really boils down to communication, right? Any dysfunction we deal with in our business, our life, personal life, comes down to communication. And I really enjoyed this conversation. It's so fun to talk with people who are masters at their craft and their knowledge level. And Meredith is just one of those experts. You know, uh, it's estimated that 70 to 90% of investment in learning and development is wasted because participants don't apply what they learned. And so that means we don't get that return on investment. And what I appreciate about Meredith is she knows why this happens and what we can do to improve this return on investment. She has spent the past 30 years working on creating products and books that help people master communication skills. So that's why this conversation was just so fun, so value-packed. You're really going to enjoy it. It is brought to you by my longtime partner, sponsor, Equity Bank. It's really been exciting to have them a part of the show for so long. Equity Bank is a team that knows what it takes to start and grow a business. It's been exciting to watch them grow into one of the fastest-growing banks in the Midwest, they're listed on the NASDAQ exchange. they got locations all across Kansas as well as Oklahoma, Missouri, Arkansas. They've expanded even, for, even further, partnered with even more, acquired even more banks. So they're gaining in popularity and in size. And clearly this team at Equity Bank knows how to lead for growth. They've been longtime sponsors of this show. So if it feels like your current bank is more of a follower than a leader and you want to work with a bank that really understands your needs, go check out Equity Bank. Go to equitybank.com to learn more. I appreciate you listening to this show. If you're a brand new listener, if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. It is the lifeblood of all of us who have podcasts. When you subscribe, rate, and review, it keeps us front and center in the algorithms in Spotify and Apple Podcasts, particularly Apple Podcasts. And it's because of that effort and your support, it keeps us front and center, allows us to continue to grow. And this show continues to grow. It has for the eight years, and it's because of you. And when you leave those reviews... When you subscribe to the show, it means the world to me. So thank you for doing that. And if you haven't done it yet, please do so. It would mean the world to me. Check out Dose of Leadership University as well. I'm gaining new members in 2021. It's a value-packed community of like-minded leaders searching for significance just like you. Like-minded leaders, professionals who get together. We gather. We meet twice a month to meet real-life leadership challenges and problems head-on, come up with real-life solutions. It's the best way to become accountable, to push yourself to the next level in leadership. Go check out Dose of Leadership University at doseofleadership.com slash university. You can learn more. Look at the landing page, read the testimonials, fill out the enrollment form, and we'll have a conversation to see if it might be a good fit for you. And grab five more people in your organization and get a 20% discount as well. So go check it out, doseofleadership.com slash university. All right, let's get on with this conversation with Meredith Bell author, speaker, publisher of assessment and development tools, and the author of Connect With Your Team, Mastering the Top 10 Communication Skills, here on Dose of Leadership. Well, Meredith Bell on Dose of Leadership, welcome to the show. Thank you, Richard. I'm really excited to be here with you today. Yeah, you know, I was looking through, you know, when we reconnected and I was looking through old emails and we'd scheduled this a long time ago, 2017, and we and I had a flight flight that cropped up and we kind of lost touch and so it's glad glad that we're reconnecting again so better late than never i guess right so that's it's, right it's, well so much has happened since then so i oh, have yes. different kinds of things to share with you now i'm excited to talk with you about this whole idea of communicating 
with our folks. Conflict resolution is big. Listening is big to me. It's hard, though. You know, when we, when we look at leadership, I think the hardest thing for me is, is I have this ideal or I, I, I do the work to recognize or become self-aware that I, there's areas I want to focus on. And sometimes when I turn the volume up on that self-awareness, it can get a little overwhelming. You know, like, like there's, there's so many things I want to fix, right? And uh-huh, sometimes it can yes. lead, me, lead me to inaction. I don't know if you ever experienced that too, but, you know, sometimes I, you know, I think doing the work of self-awareness and turning up the volume and seeing can, can be overwhelming and disheartening sometimes. Um, but what, what do you think when you hear that? Do, do you experience the same thing? You know what I mean? You're always in this kind of, I'm sure, trying to constantly improve and you're coaching others to improve. But do you ever feel overwhelmed about, God, there's so much things I need to fix? You know, I have, uh, I, I can definitely relate to what you're saying. Over time, I think I have gotten a lot better at slowing myself down mm-hmm. so that I'm not feeling as overwhelmed. Anytime I feel overwhelmed, it's because of the thoughts that I'm having. Right. And so what's going on in my head? And it really helps me to either write out or type up the things that I'm thinking about that I want to do something about, whether it's action items related to our business or my own, you know, behaviors that I want to improve. The one thing that we've learned over the years, and I have especially learned, is really it's better to focus on one thing at a time. So what yeah. one thing, if I were to really work to improve that, might have a ripple effect on other things. Yeah. And I think that's a key to success for anyone interested in improving, changing behavior, being more effective leader, parent, person, is looking at what's one thing I could do better and increase it even just by 1% or 5%, you know, not trying to lay too much on ourselves because then we start feeling guilty and other negative emotions. Yeah, right. And the goal here is to get excited about making a positive step in the right direction towards something we want to become better at. Yeah, that's the way I kind of do it myself too. If I find myself kind of getting overwhelmed and starting to look at things like, oh, I, you know, and look, to me, I consider that looking at it, the difference of looking at it through abundance or through lack. And when I look at through lack, then I look at all the things I don't have or the things that I don't like. And it seems overwhelming. It's like I got to cross this, Grand Canyon type chasm to get to the other side. And then I got to, if I look at it with abundance, then I'm reminding myself, this is kind of like compound interest, right? If I want to become a millionaire, I do it over time. You know, if I save a little bit, you know, and through compound interest, it builds up over time. And so in the, Mm -hmm. in the moment that you're doing it, it may not seem like you're making an impact, but it's the, it's just improving. Like you said, 1% every single day well that adds up over time right and that's how that that's what i do like you said to remind myself when i get overwhelmed yes and i think and start you know, from, oh go ahead no no you go ahead well just thinking about when we set that goal let's say to get better at something another aspect that to me is so important is counting our wins and yeah. and that means at the end of the day or at the end of the week what are some of the things that I did that I'm proud of? And that reinforces the things I want to do. Instead of saying, oh, I forgot to do this and I didn't do that. You know, if we dwell in, and what made me think about that is you're contrasting that whole abundance versus lack. It's so important to build the sense of abundance by recognizing and giving ourselves credit when we do things well, even if it's a small thing to say, hey, I did remember to do that because we need to raise our awareness level to notice when we have an opportunity to use a specific skill or say something that we really want to say um, instead of overlooking those times we didn't because you don't want to reinforce the negative. It's important (laughs) to really reinforce the behavior we want to follow and even writing it out is another way of imprinting that on the brain so it becomes a way of being conscious about it the next day and the day after that yeah and tying it pick you know 
piggybacking off what you said, it's there's a huge part of what I consider the compassionate side of of leadership, and it's compassionate with yourself and forgiving of yourself. Yes. And, and and I don't, I know we don't do that enough, and I know the people that I've coached. They don't do that enough. I got to remind myself that just daily. It's like, okay, look, look at what you have done. Um, kind of celebrate the small wins, as you said, and just realize that this is this is a, a long term marathon. It's something that you never you never arrive. And I think once that's helped me too, kind of embracing this mindset that I, I'm, I'm not chasing this arrival flag planting moment. Right. It's just this constant journey of improvement, you know, and that mm-hmm. if I can look back over time that I can I can take a great deal of satisfaction of looking at the long winding path. Right. And, you There's know, a great deal of satisfaction. Aspect, looking at it. Yes. And another aspect of what you just said, this compassion to self. One of the important things I've discovered that's relevant to this whole conversation is the fact that if I am feeling impatient or irritated with another person, I have learned to step back and look at what is going on inside of me. Mm -hmm. Because it's always about something in me that causes me to feel annoyed, irritated, frustrated with someone else. And this whole thing of self-compassion, Richard, you know, in the last few years especially, I've just come to appreciate how critical that is. Because Mm -hmm. if we can't have that with ourselves, it's really hard to have it with someone else. We have these standards sometimes for ourselves that we expect ourselves to live up to. And when we fall short, we don't always look at ourselves and get irritated with ourselves. We look outside (laughs) and look to blame someone else instead of ourselves. And that has been such an important trigger for me. That happened to me in the last couple of weeks more than once where I was feeling this irritation and I, you know, my mind and thoughts were just starting to run off. And then I went, stop. This is not about that person. This is about you. What's going on right now that's causing you not to tolerate that, what they're doing? Um, and that is huge to have that level of self-awareness that then can slow me down and totally change the way I have a conversation with that person. Yeah, that's really critical. And I'm with you too. There's something that it's really over the last five years, particularly the last decade, but getting that the self-awareness piece is so huge. And I used to think leadership was so external. Like I used to think it was all about, you know, motivating the masses, motivating the troops, you know, follow me, boys, we're attacking this hill and all this other stuff. And I got to be this composed, charismatic force to, to, to drive this inspiration. But man, it is almost 90%, if not 100% internal. Like if you get the internal state right, if you can get the, your head right, your heart right, which it's constant. It's like it's a, it's almost a, a second by second awareness, right? Because you can yes. go from you can go through all the cycles of being a victim to a persecutor to well realize that and then realize okay I gotta I gotta just like you said this person's driving me wait it's not about them it's about me. You can do that in a matter of seconds, right? Mm-hmm. And then and then go right back to <laughs> after being positive, you can go right back into the drama side of it again. It's just. Yeah. But I think the awareness piece is so critical. And when you realize whatever those trigger points are, like, again, it can be almost daunting. I've kind of like when I've started listening to the limiting beliefs, the negative self-talk, like how subconscious that was. And when I turned up the volume, I was like, wow, I cannot believe I'm saying these things. Right. It's the same thing with the, the trigger points is like when you're feeling that irritation or that anger, frustration, whatever it is, if you can in that moment recognize and get yourself to a, whoa, wait a second, pause point, a choice point, that's been, you're, you're well over halfway there. You're 80% there in my opinion. And now it's like the choice, how do I respond to this? Asking questions like, how do I respond to this? Wait, what are we trying to accomplish here? What's the outcome that I'm trying to achieve? Those are leadership questions. That's what leaders do, right? They, they recognize those trigger points, as mm-hmm. you point. One thing I heard something that really helped me with that in that same vein is, I um, can't remember where I heard this, where someone said, 
behind every complaint, there's a commitment. And so like if you're hearing somebody complaining, you know, or in particular if it's coming at you and you can, you know, it's easy to kind of dig in your heels and, you know, defend and, but if you can find, and even doing it to yourself about the forgiveness piece, if you can find it, wait, what am I complaining about? What am I whining about? There's a commitment there, right? And I think that you can find out what that commitment is that leads to, I think, a, a better solution, a better outcome. What do you think when you hear me say that? You know, that is so interesting. I had never thought of it that way. And yet, what I, what another C word that comes to mind is, besides commitment, is care. The person wouldn't be bringing this up as a right. complaint or a concern if there wasn't some caring about what's mm -hmm. going on, right. either the outcome that happened or the way something was done. Uh, I think that there's a lot of truth to that as I mm -hmm. uh, reflect on it, because otherwise they would say nothing, right? right. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't care enough to bother, yeah. you know, it won't make any difference. And so I think... In, in the context of what we've just been talking about, if you look at someone bringing any kind of negative, let's just call it under an umbrella of negative information, whether it's about you or something that's been done in your team or department, or um, if we look at it as simply a gift yeah. this is, and, and, and take a neutral stance with it in our minds of, oh, here's something I didn't know well, what can I learn from this? And so to have that curiosity instead of defensiveness, you know, justification, explaining, and all of that is only going to have the effect of putting the other person off. Yeah. No, because it's going to look like you're trying to, you know, be right and then be wrong. And if you're really wanting to encourage openness in communication, then that mindset of everyone has information to share with me that I need to hear. And so I don't want to dismiss it out of hand or minimize it or reject it because of my history with this person. To stay fresh and curious sets a whole different tone and really invites the other person to be honest with you and not hold back because you can only make improvements when you know, when you don't have those blind spots. Right. I like how you phrased that about it. It, it. And I agree with you looking at it as a gift, you know, kind of that mindset of like, Hey, this person cares if they wouldn't be complaining and may, even if it's directed at you. And I think that's where the work, that's where leadership really gets hard. It's particularly if it's aimed at you, if this complaint is aimed at you, man, if you can just sit there and remove yourself from that situation and try to put themselves in their situation, you know, this person thinks I'm a jerk and instead of digging in going, well, why do they see me as a jerk? Maybe they got a valid point. Maybe they don't. But if you can at least just see mm -hmm. why they're committed to this complaint and and get to that commitment, get to what they really cared about, man, that really, man, now, now you're really going down a, a path that what I consider, lead, you know, transformative leadership in my opinion. Well, and That's there are two aspects of, you know, getting at what's behind someone says. One is to ask questions, mm -hmm. and that prevents you from feeling like, oh, I need to jump in and state something. Instead, right. saying, wow, I didn't realize the, the impact of what I had said. Could you tell me more about that? You know, mm -hmm. how did you feel when I said that? What what thoughts were going through your mind? Um, what did you notice about other people in the room if that was in a group setting? Just to invite them to let the, and just asking those questions is a way yeah, of huge. encouraging people to open up. And then the other aspect of that is tone of voice. Because if you say it with a sarcastic or threatening or defensive tone, they're gonna shut down. In other words, well, why do you think that? <laughs> or what makes you think that? Or why would you say that? You know, that just pushes people away. But instead, to just have a relaxed body language that you send to the person if you're, you know, face to face, and then your tone of voice is calm 
and curious just because you put yourself in the state of, I want to be a learner here. I'm interested in growing and learning and even being overt about that with the other person and saying, you know, this sounds like an opportunity for me to learn something and maybe do something different. So I would really appreciate your telling me more about what was going on with you in this situation, you know, so that they don't feel threatened. Right, sure. There's so much power in those open-ended questions. One thing I've learned is I've learned how to become a better coach and just the power in that composure that you're talking about and then asking those open-ended questions, the who, what, where, when, why. Wow, you know, tell me more. Why, why, do you, why would you, you know, what were you feeling or why did you feel that way? How could I improve, do you think? You know, I've got a lot of mileage out of that. In particular, we've been doing feedback sessions like, well, how, how can I become, instead of asking them, in other words, what am I doing great? You know, what am I not doing so great? You know, in particular, this person reports to me, they're not going to be that open and honest. But if I, if I show some vulnerability and say, you know, I'm really working on becoming a better leader, here's some things I'm doing. How do you think I can become a better leader? How can I, you know, what do you think, think there's some things I can do? Mm -hmm. I've got it's, another way to question that, to I'd pose to that it. question to someone. And this goes back to this focus that we were talking about earlier. What's one thing I could do better to that would improve the way you experience working here or that would help you get more done in your job? What's one thing you would like to see me do differently or better? to make your life here, you know, more, yeah. uh, more rewarding. However, whatever phrase makes sense to you, but asking somebody to only mention one is helpful because then you can, you can focus and they can focus because there's always one thing that they wish somebody were doing, you know, differently, better, stop, whatever, but to, to frame it as to make your experience more rewarding or allow you to be more productive because there are so many times we do things to get in the way of other people and their work it may be something simple like interrupting them you know you're every time you get a thought you you text me or you ping me and 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 it breaks the <laughs> yeah. flow of my work so you know just little things that we Sometimes we're afraid to ask that, Richard, because we're afraid they're going to mention some huge flaw, <laughs> you know, some, <laughs> yeah. some really big thing that we do. And often it's just a small thing that would be very easy for us to change if we only knew. Yeah, it's just the awareness because, you know, how many times have we, I mean, think about your personal life and the professional life of working with someone and, and the thing or the behavior or whatever that you're trying to point out, they just weren't even aware of it. Right. They didn't know they were being that way. Mm -hmm. um, that's a lot of it. You know, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're kind of skirting around the edges, you know, I, I mentioned I'm a, there's a lot of stuff we're talking about is is stuff that's in your book that you wrote with uh, your colleague, Dennis Coates. Uh, this connect with your team, mastering the top 10 communication skills. And, you know, it's kind of a good segue because one of the things uh, you have 10 uh, basically, uh, relationship building skills in your book that are great. And what's great about this book is it's things that we, when you read it, and that's to me, that's always a mark of uh, a great leadership book or a leadership. It's like, oh, yeah, I know that. It's like things you know, right? I mean, and that's what's so great about leadership. Leadership is so easy to understand. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no magic bullet. These are just traits that just kind of exist, you know, since the dawn of time. But it's always good when you read a book and, and when I get them, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, I know that, right? But it's like you kind of – it's good to get reminded because even though you say you know it, you don't know it. Does that make sense? I mean it's like well, a, a it reminder. Well, it absolutely does. And, and the distinction I would make is between knowing and doing. Yeah. You know, when people say, oh, I've heard that before. Or I already know that. Yeah, but are you actually doing it? Are doing you it. implementing that right. when you interact with other people? And often they aren't. And so it's, I think that's where the rubber meets the road is uh, looking at and evaluating as you read a book where, yeah, these concepts aren't brand new. We've heard about them, listening, 
you know, mm-hmm. giving and receiving feedback, those are not new concepts. But what we wanted to do in the book is kind of distill our 30 plus years each of uh, <laughs> working with folks and being aware of what's involved in communicating well and how can we break it down into bite-sized pieces where people can clearly see, oh, this is what that looks like. Yeah. Through giving step-by-step and also any uh, giving sample dialogues to show here's what a good exchange, here's what a not-so-good exchange might look like. I love, yeah, and as you open up in the, the well, the first part, the, you know, again, the three things that you need to know, which is a great way to begin the book, but getting into the part two, the, the 10 relationship building skills, the first one, we were kind of talking about a lot of this stuff, this listening to understand the first step or this first skill, which is really foundational. And it's something that I've been yes. real big and something that I've um, really become aware of over the last decade and trying to improve. And I look back at my kind of leadership journey and I'm like, wow, I wasn't so much, particularly even in the Marine Corps, I wasn't, which you would have thought I would have had that down, but it was well after I got in the corporate arena and made a lot of mistakes, missteps. Uh, I really wasn't in this mindset of seeking to understand, which is the same thing to me as listening to understand. I was always in this mindset, this default mindset, I guess, of I guess lawyering up is the best way, you know, it's like I was always trying to like, if you look, if you just saw things my way, everything would be great. You know, I was always in this mind of trying to prove myself right. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until I started seeking to understand this empathetic side, you know, which God, I can't believe I got there so late. It wasn't until my late thirties and early forties that I started doing that. You know, and so I spent this whole time from my early 20s up into my 40s of not really seeking to understand. It was more about, no, you're wrong. I'm right. This is why this is the best way. All with good intentions. It wasn't it wasn't ego or power. It was just that I I thought, no, I'm right. And maybe there's ego involved in that. I don't know. But does that make sense? What do you think about when you hear me say that? Oh, or, or that yes, yes, yes. Uh, it's so true. And the, again, there are a lot of C words coming out here. What <laughs> I was thinking of was trying to be convincing yeah. versus being a compelling listener. Uh, right. Dean Jackson, one of the best marketers I know of, has made that distinction in terms of a marketing message. If you're trying to convince people of something, you're pushing your ideas on them. Yeah. Right. But if you're compelling, what you're saying is drawing them to you. Because you've stated exactly what their pain is, what their need is, and they see you as the person who can help them. And so I think that translates directly into listening. If we can let go of that need to be right, to convince people of our position, and instead adopt, and I go back to that curiosity, but it's a word that I've adopted over the last few years, and it just makes a huge difference in my whole demeanor and attitude in a conversation, uh, because it 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 states in, implicitly, I want to learn from you. Yes. Not try to tell you. And so this understanding of someone else, listening to understand, in order to, you know, you use the word empathy, and that's such an excellent word, and we talk about that in the book. You know how to really help someone else know you get them. And the I, I wish I could state strongly enough, Richard, maybe if you could picture me standing on the table going, listen to this, it's really important. <laughs> right. This idea of getting what someone else is saying, whether you agree with them or not, but your ability to state back to them what you understood them to say and how they're feeling about it is huge for building mm. and strengthening relationships. It's it's amazing the trust, the deposits you're making into your account with that person when you take the time to do that. And I think for many leaders, the challenge is feeling like we're in a rush. You know, we don't have time because we got this, we got that, we got this. And so some leaders actually send signals for the person to hurry up whether it's to interrupt them, finish their sentences, look at their watch, or try to start doing something else 
that sends a message you're not important right now you know what you're saying is not as important as what i'm looking to do but if you see relationships as vital to your life as well as to getting the work done then taking that extra five minutes, 10 minutes, whatever required to really be with that person, fully present, fully capture what it is they're trying to express. I guarantee you that has huge payoffs, both immediate and long-term. They will come to your defense in situations where there might be some conflicts and they will stand up for you because of how you have bonded with them. And I, you know, I don't know how to express that in a way that doesn't sound soft or, you know, uh, but it's so key to relationships to have someone trust you. And the way you build that trust is to be present with them in a meaningful way. Hey, we're about halfway through the conversation, but I wanted to take the time to talk about my good friends, the sponsor here of the special series at Equity Bank. Have you ever noticed that most business bankers seem to really understand just one thing? It's banking, right? And not a lot about business. It makes sense since most banks were built generations ago and now they're often run by caretakers, not business builders. Well, it's not the case here at Equity Bank. The bankers at Equity Bank didn't inherit a bank generations ago. They built one of their own. They know that building something takes expertise, vision, and hard work. And over the past decade, they've built one of the region's fastest growing banks by working side by side with customers, with entrepreneurs, with leaders in communities all throughout Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Recently, Equity Bank was listed on the NASDAQ exchange, which gives them even greater capabilities to take on those big deals that growing businesses need to keep on growing. So if you're tired of talking to bankers who've never really ran or owned or built a business, then I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you talk to my friends at Equity Bank. Thanks for listening to this show. Let's get back to the conversation, this unique and special series on leadership and entrepreneurship brought to you by my friends at Equity Bank. Yeah, you said some really great things there and, you know, just kind of swimming around what you said. I like the fact that this idea, this this rush, you know, or that we are in a in a hurry to do things. I yeah, I that that resonates with me. I find myself, you know, I'm thinking like if one of my kids have come to me or my wife has come to me with a complaint or they've kind of hit and there is this default state that I had to fix this situation that they're talking about and that's just the wrong way to look at it and it's like you got to just kind of like okay be present with them and just open up your curiosity and say hey what am I going to learn you know, look at it as a, a learning moment and in your book you talk about you know and this is where it gets difficult because we're usually hit with these things whether it's at work or at home and someone comes to here and these times that we need to listen and maybe it's a problem or a conflict or something, you know, some issue that's just resonating. And sometimes it, it blindsides us because we're busy doing this, doing this, and we get hit with this kind of, what is this? And maybe that's where that rush comes in. It's like, I okay, let's just get through this so I can get back to what I was doing. But yeah, if you can take the time to listen and, and recognize those kind of disappointment, frustration, or anger that you feel from this kind of blindsided thing or this conversation or whatever it is, that those are actual signals, as you point out in your book, as a listening moment, right? So use those as kind of a blessing of like, hey, okay, this is a trigger point. This is where self-awareness is so key, because if you feel that frustration, that anger, that disappointment, that irritation, those are signals to, okay, now it's time to listen. Take Go to that, that pause point, that choice point, and say, how am I going to respond to this? Well, I'm going to just be curious and be open and listen. And that way you can get past the the barbs that might be, be thrown at you that if it becomes personal, you know, is it, just get yourself in that proper frame of mind for listening and be curious. I don't know how you can get people. That's what, to me is like, how do, how do you get people to understand the power of curiosity and listening, you know? It's like, I can't well, make first somebody of all, be curious. Yes, you can't make someone. What you can do is role model it. 
Right. Uh, that's a key thing for any leader is to be willing to practice this yourself because you just brought up a really key point. If somebody comes to you and brings up something unexpected, the default response that you draw from is the one you've created as your habit. And right. so if your habit is respond with defensiveness and justifying and everything else, that's what you're going to be tempted to jump into. And I'll compare it, Richard, to um, let's say golf, because the Masters was just uh, this past weekend. When somebody is working with a golf coach to teach them how to, you know, putt differently or adjust their swing, their, their default way of doing it is the old way that they've right. been doing it. And so what's going to cause them to change it is practice and more practice and more practice and getting feedback along the way. And so for those of us, and that's the challenge with any of these interpersonal skills, we don't come as a blank slate to the workplace. We have developed these habits of how we listen, how we give or receive feedback over the years, and that's our default. And it's actually hardwired in the brain. So if we want to adopt a different way of doing it, we can't expect just one day to decide and that's going to be how we are. We have to practice it over and over and over again so that that pathway becomes our superhighway and not the old one. And, and that way, when you are in a situation where you're faced with something unexpected, your default is now the one you've been practicing and not the old one. So you can remember to stop and pause and be curious and not react negatively and to, um, you know, welcome that and actually thank the person for bringing this to your attention. That's another thing we don't do often enough is actually thank someone for telling us about something we didn't know. Yeah. So many great things. And even just like to this first part of, of listening to understand, but I love what you wrote down and we were, we were kind of laying the groundwork for this of that getting into that listening mindset again the curiosity the empathy it, it's all to me it's all curiosity empathy seeking to understand removing yourself there's something to learn here you know and as you write in your book i care about this person's problems thoughts and feelings something is going on with them right now and i want to know what it is so rather than react negatively or assume you understand i check what i'm hearing so that just gets you in that proper framework to like you know, it's mm -hmm. not even solving the problem. For me, I think, and I don't know if that's a, uh, you know, I know when I went through uh, marriage counseling long ago, that was a big thing. And this counselor told me, uh, men and husbands are default for this, right? Like we want to fix the problem, right? <laughs> you know, my wife comes to me and she's complaining about something. And it may not even be about me. It's about something. And then I'm like, okay, I've got to help solve this for her. And it's such a a mistake and if I could just seek to understand and just kind of be a sounding board and listening and going and learning how to be a coach has helped tremendously of because when you're coaching and you write this in the book it's like don't necessarily start offering ex your experience your advice or your solution right and as a coach you never do that really because you, you kind of go to this mindset as a coach that my experience and how I solve this problem is kind of irrelevant to this person, right? You're mm -hmm. there to extract. You go in this with this belief that this person I'm sitting across from has all the tools necessary to solve this. And so my job is to get them to see that and to extract that. And the way you do that is not by offering your solution, your advice, your experience. You do that by asking great questions. And that's really what's in this listen to understand, right? Is how do you ask those great questions? Like, what did you mean? Tell me more. How does that make you feel? You know, and be patient mm -hmm. because they're, they never get to the point. And so you just got to kind of sit there and you got to help them get to the point. What do you mean? And sometimes just by saying, tell me more, what does that mean? What does yes. that look like? You know, I don't know. What is that? Mm -hmm. Oh, what absolutely. And uh, this is so funny. Another C word, courage. Yeah, you have the courage to just sit and, and, uh, and listen and be open. And I shared a story in the book, Richard, that is right along with what you were just saying with my daughter. This is more than 20 years ago now. 
but it, it touched my heart so deeply because I'd taught listening for so many years. And then one day after she was babysitting for some neighbors, she had a bad experience and she came home and started telling me about it. And I, it, it isn't just fathers and, you know, husbands, by right, the way, it's parents, moms, right, it's parents. And <laughs> a parent can do this because you want to keep your kid from experiencing pain. It comes from a, a motivation that seems pure, but it robs them of certain developing life skills. And so in this case, I jumped in after I heard her describe part of it and said, oh, well, you should have done this. And did you think about that? And she, you know, interrupted me and tried to finish and I'm jumping in with more solutions. (laughs) And she finally said, mom, I already solved this. All I wanted you to do was listen. (laughs) Yeah. Whoa. That was like getting hit in the, you know, gut because I wasn't doing, you know, quote what I preach. I, I know this skill, but we don't always apply it in every situation. So we're constantly learning. We never get to the end of what we can learn about how to be a, an effective listener. And that willingness to just take off that coach's hat, the, you know, whatever problem solver hat, and just put on the listener hat and being present with and for them. That's what she needed that day. Yeah, boy, I've dropped that. I drop that ball all the time, because particularly with my kids, because a lot of time, again, I go into that mode, and I think it's just because I'm the dad, and I have to really watch out. Particularly, they becoming teenagers and more independent now, and they come home with the high school drama stories and everything else, and I'm just like, you know, I, I catch myself just kind of, you know, I get impatient because instead of just listening to them, you know, I kind of exert my authority and life experience and like, ah, oh, that just, you know, you know, and it's, it's almost like I become dismissive, you know, because I'm like, ah, yeah, you know, that kid's an idiot, you know, don't they, you know, and said, like, dad, you're not listening to me. I'm like, yeah, but they're an idiot. You don't need to, you know, just don't listen to them. Just go on, go do it, you know, and that's, and it's, it's like, I'm kind of throwing my, my dad hat authority because mm-hmm. I got 52 years of, of life stink on me and they got 16, you know. Well, Richard, the there's a chapter in the book on, you know, helping people learn from experience that is useful for, for parents and really anyone in the workplace. And it's the idea of when something has happened that didn't go the way someone hoped it would. If, if they were disappointed or upset about some drama that happened at school or at work, to get them to talk and process it and learn from that themselves, then they become more resilient and more resourceful, you know, as they move into adulthood or in the workplace, just operating in, in uh, whatever the environment is. But getting people to talk about, you know, what happened so that mm-hmm. they're clear about the sequence of events. And then how did they feel about what happened? So you get the left and the right brain. And yep. then getting to the look at, okay, so if it was something that your child did, you can say, so what do you think was behind your doing that? You're trying to get at their motive. You know, why, do you, why did you do it that way? Or why do you think they said that or did that? So they try to just analyze from the other person's perspective. And then, so what was the outcome? You know, uh, did you get the result you wanted? Or they ended up mad and not talking. And, and so what, what was behind that? To try to process the whole thing so that you get to the point of saying, okay, so what might be a takeaway from this that you could use if you encounter this kind of situation again? Yeah. So that they learn from that experience. That's huge. And you don't have to an- ask all those questions, you know, in exactly that sequence. But the idea is to get it an understanding. And so they can then do what they need to do to think through what would make this happen better on another occasion. Yeah, for sure. When I when I ask those open-ended questions, instead of kind of just throwing the dismissive you know, again, what can I learn from this? Try to see where they're at. My experience doesn't mean anything for the most part. You know, I, I know that it does, but if I can sit there and ask those open-ended questions, like you said, stated, 
wow, how did that make you feel? Well, what was the outcome? What do you think you could do differently? What are you going to do next time? You know, yeah, I've, I've seen positive things happen when I ask those questions, right? It's a whole different outcome as opposed to, mm-hmm. I can just, I'm hearing my, I hear my daughter's voice now. You're not listening to me. You're not paying attention, right? And I wasn't, right? And I'm not because mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. And you know, Richard, those same questions we can apply to ourselves when yep. we have, have fallen short of something or a situation turned out the way we had not hoped it would, um, and we had some role to play in it, then to do that same kind of questions so that we can let go of it. Too often, and I bet you've done this too, I know I'm not unique this way, something goes wrong, maybe we said something we regretted or or just didn't do something we would have preferred we had done, you mull it over in your mind. You're just critiquing Mm -hmm. yourself on an ongoing basis. Oh, you idiot. Or call yourself names, you know, whatever. Yeah, for sure. But it's keeping you from moving forward to getting other things done because you've got this loop that keeps playing. And so to let go of that and be able to you know, handle another situation better to go through those same questions and write out your answers for yourself. It's amazing how that can then free you to move on because you've processed it and you've come up with, uh, you've envisioned yourself handling it better in a, in another situation. So you feel more equipped to respond appropriately. Whereas if we don't pause and take time to reflect, and we just go, 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 then when we encounter that situation again, we don't have anything new to draw from to help us handle it better. Yeah, you know, there's so much of what you said that word, the pause. I mean, so much to me about leadership, if I really strip it down, the simplicity, it always starts with that pause point. It's like getting to the choice point because our natural default state as human beings is one of reaction. Mm-hmm. And that's how as a species we've survived. We had to, you know, it's like, you know, here's a saber toothed tiger react, you know, either, either run from it, you fight it or you freeze. What you do one of those three things. And as we've, that's how we survived. And so that's our, that is our default state. And that's something I've just kind of come, come to accept just re- you know, recently in the last five years is that, well, we look at, you know, how many people tell you, or do I hear, and I hear from the show, it's like, well, I, I just, I don't, I don't do good at dealing with anxiety. I'm always anxious. I'm always fearful. I, I don't know how to deal with anxiety. That comes up. That word anxiety comes up all oh, the stinking time. And, you know, and I've come to realize, I'm like, is it really, and, and my point is, is that society, culture, for whatever reason, we're kind of taught that this level of anxiety is something to be ashamed of or that it's abnormal and i'm like that's the default state is this is to be anxious because that's how we survive and so what i'm saying is is that instead of trying to eliminate it i think everybody's running around with some sort of anxiety that's why we do all the stupid things that we do right and or even some of the great things and that's my point is that instead of reacting to the anxiety it's about harnessing the right things to be anxious about you know the things that are important to me um i'm anxious about not being able to pay my bills also that's that use that and harness that to 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 unleash your creativity to in your job or your entrepreneurial venture right um you know whatever but you know it's, Richard, like, it's about harnessing i, wanna, I want to Well, if I could push back just a little bit, I was talking to a gal this morning who used the word panic. Uh, They are uh, resellers of our product and they had this new client and she was saying, we're kind of in panic mode about ABC. And I said, well, the first thing I'd like to share is it's not very helpful for you to feel panicky because it's harder to be in a creative mode when you're feeling negative emotions that cause your mind to start racing. And I would say a similar thing could be said about anxiety. I know the context you're talking about it in, but you know, I've another thing I've learned over the last four or five years is our thoughts create a lot of our emotions. Absolutely. And so if we can 
analyze our thoughts. And, and a lot of times anxiety, worry, they're dealing with situations in the future that we haven't encountered yet. And so we're missing out on the present and what's right. possible for us right now. So if we can just, you know, relax a little bit and say, yes, I'm having this thought. How And Byron Katie is a great one for this. She has a site called thework.com with great questions to inquire, not judge, but inquire about the thoughts you have. And it's this whole thing of how would I feel? How would I be if I didn't have that thought? Right. What would my life be like? And, and so to move into that creative state like you're talking about, to come up with solutions, I think it helps to frame some of our situations in a way that frees up our mind to be more creative and playful. And that was, a, you know, that word was kind of antithesis to me. How can I be playful about this? It's a very serious situation. Don't talk to me about being playful. And yet I now understand the spirit behind that. If we take no, ourselves too yeah. seriously, we can't be free to explore. Yeah, I think that's what I was trying to get at. I'm, I'm with you 100. percent Is is, and that's what I, that's what I meant about saying the harnessing the anxiety, is that mm -hmm. just like we said, it's 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 the awareness piece. I'm not saying the anxiety is the rocket fuel. Quite the contrary, right? Because they, it's, it's a negative emotion, but the awareness of the anxiety gets you to the point to like, okay, wait a second, get you to that pause point the choice point as I like to call it right mm -hmm. and like what am I and then and then you can ask that question what am I trying to do here what is the outcome I'm trying to do to me that's the that's when the creativity comes forth yes. and what everybody does and so my point is like instead of that's how you get rid of the and I don't even know if that's the right way to say it because the I think the the anxiety would and the worry might probably still be there in some element in that tension but it's the right one it's like what what am i trying i guess what i was trying to say is that the anxiety the awareness of it can if you become aware of it and realize that it's normal to feel it the key is not to react to the anxiety the reaction to the anxiety is what perpetuates all the drama and the negative stuff that just keeps us all this cycle the awareness of the anxiety and like what am i trying to do here what outcome do i want what are we trying to achieve here? How do I supposed to respond to this? That gets you to that creative space, I guess is what I'm saying. Right? Yeah. And, so and, in, and in to add, yes, to add to that, it's this idea of not judging ourselves for having yes. that feeling. Yes. And, That's the and yeah. so that gets us in another downward spiral of, well, I shouldn't be feeling anxious. I'm supposed to be feeling positive and da da da. You know, we judge ourselves and we go down right. that loop. And, and to build on what you're saying is we acknowledge, here's where I am. I'm feeling anxious right now. Yes. Now, what's behind that? What thought am I having that's causing that? How is that serving me? Because right. if I realize, you know, that's not really serving me and helping me right now, what could, and, and this goes back again to that beginning discussion on focus, what one thing could I do right now that would help me feel like I'm making progress so I don't face this undesirable situation down the road? You know, exactly. instead of, oh, I'm worried I can't pay my bills. Well, uh, what if I could pay my bills? What's one thing exactly. I could do that would make it more likely that I could pay my bills? And that puts your mind in a different frame. Now you're searching creatively for solutions instead of wallowing in that. And, and I don't mean wallowing in a judgmental way, but just we're, we spin our wheels so often. We spend this Absolutely. time. Uh, on thoughts and feelings that just do not help us move forward. I love what you said. That's exactly, and that's what I was trying to, you articulate that so much better than I was doing. That's exactly what, what my point about the, instead of kind of fretting or looking at ourselves like I shouldn't be feeling anxious, I guess I'm saying, no, just stop and listen. What, you know, the complaint, the commitment behind the complaint, like well, why, Mm -hmm. Why are you making this? What can I do here? 
example, like a simple example of like, I look at my house, there's 15 projects that I want to do that I need to fix, right? That I want to do. And they make me anxious because I'm not fixing them. I see the deteriorating fence behind the pasture. And I'm thinking in terms of like I have 15 of these things, like, how am I going to do? I can't afford all 15 at once, but I want to do this. My, you know, my wife doesn't like the way this fence looks, this or that. And so instead of, and what do I do? I react to that anxiety and that reaction, to that anxiety means, okay, well, I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to go binge watch Netflix to just forget about the fence, <laughs> right? That's a reaction to that, right? To make the mm -hmm. anxiety go away. Mm -hmm. Well, instead of like, well, why is this fence important to me? Why, why do I want to get it fixed? Well, because, you know, it'll look better and it'll do for the resale and we can sit in our backyard and enjoy it, whatever. You can come up with a list of reasons why the fence is important to me. And then just if you just, even though the anxiety is still, I don't, how am I going to pay for this? I don't know yet, but I know this is important to me. I, I mean, I know I got my savings, but I don't, that's what makes me anxious. I don't want to, to, to take a big chunk out of my savings and, you know, ah. Uh, but if you just take a baby step and you just go, well, let's get some bids on this. Let's just call a guy and let's call, let's get three or four bids to see what to do to fix the fence. And then maybe you find out that's a baby step, right? You don't, you don't still don't know how you're going to pay for it, but maybe while you're getting those bids, one of the guys offers like, Hey, I can do it's Maybe it's not as much as you thought it was going to be. Maybe you're going to get, um, maybe he offers a 12 month interest free payment plan. And then you're like, Oh, well, I don't have to dip into my savings now. So my point is, to your point, piggyback on what you're saying, it's asking yourself, what can I do? Well, I just took a baby step and I got a subcontractor and that got me a little bit closer. Now that, that doing that baby step and kind of working through that anxiety, maybe it's a break. Now I got a breakthrough. Oh, 12 months, no interest. I can afford that. It doesn't really affect my cash flow. I don't have to dip into my savings. Now I solved the fence problem, right? Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I know that was kind of a long example. Of but. course. No, well, but it's a perfect example of the fact that many of us get overwhelmed because we have this list of things to be done, whether it's at work or at home. And, and we escape, like you were saying, we avoid mm -hmm. all of them instead of, again, focusing on, okay, so which one project will I give my attention to now? And what is one step that I could step take? Step I can take towards realizing that project. So it's breaking it down into small units so that it, of course it's easy. I can do that. I can make that phone call or two phone calls. Right. It's, it's really a way of looking at how can I uh, creatively, you know, deal with any situation that I'm, yeah. I'm encountering right now or faced with. And, you know, in your example there, sitting down with your wife and, going over that list and saying, which one do you think would make the biggest impact on our happiness, you yeah, know, on how right. we are enjoying our life, which one of these, so that together you're deciding, and then that is, you know, instilling more energy into yeah. getting that particular one done. And I think that's true at work too. When we've got multiple projects and they all seem equally important, the leader doesn't have to sit down and say, I'm the one and feel the pressure to make that choice that can be collaborative, whether it's peers or direct reports or a combination of people that could give input to weigh in so it doesn't feel overwhelming. It feels like this is a shared responsibility. And that makes a whole difference in the energy that is Absolutely. brought to the project. Well, when the outcome is defined to your point, that outcome, like sitting down in the example that you gave, sitting down with the wife and okay, these 15 things, which one is the most important right now? What does it do? What does that look like? You're defining what success looks like, what the outcome looks like. And when you define that and the outcome, you got clarity and alignment around that outcome, that gives you rocket fuel mm -hmm. to give you the passion to take a step as opposed to being anxious over all of it. You don't do anything. And then it, and then you, Forget about it for a while as I go play net, you know, watch Netflix or play the PlayStation or whatever, you know, and and then and it rears its head again when you walk back in the backyard and see your dilapidated fence. That's kind of a well, silly that other word anything. clarity, another C word, but you know, that's a key aspect of getting rid of the overwhelm. Is yeah. what can I do to get greater clarity about my priorities here? 
And that can be something you just take time yourself to do, or you sit down with the others that can help give input who are affected by whatever decision you make. Right. Wow, I'm looking at the clock. Can you believe we've almost been talking for an hour, Meredith? Can you believe it? (laughs) Time flies when you're having fun. (laughs) (laughs) And talking to you, Richard, is so much fun. I have to say your podcast is one of my absolute favorites because of the way that you interact with your guests. You're you're an active, engaged participant. You know, you don't have this list of the same questions you ask everyone. So it's a very authentic conversation. And I know that's one of your core values and you just illustrate it so well in the way you conduct your show. Well, that's very kind of you to say that. I appreciate that. It's And I knew this would be a fun conversation just based on our interactions that we had outside of this podcast. And it was just, you know, in your book, uh, you know, we just barely scratched the surface on it, but everything we've been talking about in this whole hour, uh, elements of it are in this book that there's nothing that we didn't talk about in this conversation that is in this book. And so there's even more in this book that we talked about. Would you agree with that? I mean, I think there's, we, we certainly yes. hit on so many elements that you have with this book, connect with your team, mastering the top 10 communication skills. Again, it's great how you break it down. Just like you said, the, the top 10 relationship skills, listening to understand, coach people to think for themselves, guide learning from experience, get buy-in, offer encouragement, giving feedback, accepting feedback, so we didn't even talk about that, but uh, resolving conflict—it's uh, a great, a great tool book, a great resource to have in your arsenal, particularly when you're dealing with communication. Which I think is, if you really strip down all the problems that we have in life and the challenges that we have on the, both personal and professional, it always comes down to communication and how we relate to each other. How are we relating? And getting back to that choice point, the pause point wait, what are we trying to do here? What's the outcome? Asking those questions of ourselves, getting that internal state right, and then that's going to help with the external state and helping those other people we're communicating with and doing the same thing. And this book has a lot of how to ask great questions. It's more listening and asking great questions. That's what, to me, what the book is about. What I, That's what I got mm-hmm. from the book. Great, It's a great book. So, Thank uh, you. Is there anything... Well, we- we're... Oh, I was just going to say, we are out to um, help relieve a lot of the unnecessary pain that exists in the workplace around, you know, miscommunication. And in fact, my uh, business partner, Denny Coates, has written a companion book to that called Peer Coaching Made Simple, so that organizations could actually use both books for people to study the skills and then work with a partner to not just hold them accountable, but offer support while they're making these changes, because it isn't easy to change the way we uh, perform a specific skill. So we have been on a mission for a long time. And now with these books, we feel like we've really got some tools that lots of people throughout the organization can use to connect better and get more done, You know, be more productive. Too much time is wasted in drama unnecessary drama in the workplace in relationships that you know could easily be resolved if people had the right skills to be able to connect more effectively yeah it is a book about you know you're right and that that is the challenge that we have to deal with on a minute by minute basis is is getting out of that drama cycle both with ourselves and with the situations we find ourselves in and this is mm-hmm. what this book is about right how do i get from that and it starts with that pause point, like you said, you know, wait, what am I trying to do here? And once you start asking those questions and you can get in that state, it's a great book. And I really appreciate you coming on the show to share. How can people connect with you and your partner and, and get the book and all that? How can people reach out to you? Thank you. Well, I am on LinkedIn a lot and I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. And also, if you go to our website, growstrongleaders.com, slash free, F-R-E-E, we've got uh, a Listen Like a Pro free ebook that's basically, uh, you know, adapted from the chapter on listening from our book. And so I would um, encourage people to hop over there and pick that up. And that page has the direct links to Amazon for both of our books. So the best place to look for the books would be on Amazon. And give that website one more time. The and the sure slash it's free. What is that? grow grow strong leaders with an s dot com 
forward slash free. GrowStrongLeaders.com slash free. I'll have links to that in the show notes and certainly links to the book, the books that you can get on Amazon. Meredith, thanks for coming on the show. It's really fun. Oh, Richard, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks so much for tuning into the show. I hope you got some value out of this episode. If you did, please do me a huge favor. Tell somebody about this show. Tell your spouse, tell your kids, tell your coworkers. Let them know about the value that Dose of Leadership brings to your world. Go to doseofleadership.com. You can learn more about my services. If you're looking for somebody to speak, teach, or coach about leadership, I'm your guy. I'm known for my ability to transform individuals and organizations, teaching them the concept of creating a culture of decentralized leadership. I do think that is the secret sauce to facing all the challenges that we face today. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. I look forward to the next time we work together. And until the meantime, make it a great one.